Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful you guys are with us, whether you're here in person or maybe you're in the courtyard or you're watching at home. We're grateful to have you. Our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I have a few things to let you know about. First, um, as Pastor Brandon just mentioned, school is starting back, and uh, today we're having a big celebration of that. It's our Move Up Sunday for all the kids. We've got a nacho bar afterwards, or for some of you beforehand. Uh, We've got a dunk tank that uh, myself and Pastor Brandon will be in, not together, separately, uh, and Jenny as well after the service. So stick around, hang out, meet some people, try to dunk us. Uh, If you don't, um, you're not going to heaven. Uh, So... Uh, I'm just joking. That was terrible. Uh, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Uh, So uh, let's go to something else. If you're a teacher or administrator, we always want to celebrate you and uh, and care for you. So if you are, um, uh, just do me a favor. Hold up a hand. We have some gift cards to give to you. So teachers, administrators, uh, hold up your hands. Yes, come on. Bunch of them. Let's go. Let's give it up for these guys. Hold your hand up till you get that gift card. Don't use that on your students. Use that on yourself. Uh, and here's my prayer. My prayer is that, that whoever God places in your life this year, the kids, uh, the, the families, the other administrators, that God will use you to draw them to Jesus. Uh, God didn't place you there by accident. God didn't give you your giftings by accident. And so may he use all of that to draw people uh, to himself. Uh, and if you're, if you're like me, um, I have one kid going back on Tuesday, I have another kid going back next Thursday, I'm going, when am I going back, right? Like, when am I starting back to school? If you're like that, uh, we do have something called Front Range University uh, that we'd love to tell you about. It's an opportunity to grow in your faith, uh, to grow in your leadership ability. If you feel called to ministry or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, we've had people that have done this that are 17 years old all the way up to 71 year old. So there's uh, no age range on this um, or, or, or cap. Um, and uh, we, most of the people that do it are working full time as well. So if you're interested in growing in your faith, growing in how God's created you, maybe your purpose in life and all of that, then check out uh, Front Range University. Hey, I'm excited about today. We're starting a new series. And I was thinking earlier this week about how um, some of the stories that we were told growing up uh, how some of them seem really silly. I, like one in particular I was thinking about is the tortoise and the hare. Remember the tortoise and the hare? You know, you've got the hare making fun of the tortoise because he's so slow. So the tortoise says, well, let me challenge you to a race. Then the fox comes along and he maps out the race course and, and then he sets the runners off and they go and the hare is so far ahead of the tortoise. He's like, man, I could take a nap. And so he takes a little nap. But by the time he wakes up, the tortoise is almost at the finish line and the tortoise wins. And it's supposed to teach us, like, you know, don't give up or maybe don't always go fast or something. I don't know. I don't know really what it's supposed to teach us. Uh, but I was thinking about that, and I'm like, that story is crazy. Like, I've never heard animals talk. You ever heard animals talk? Like, how did they talk to each other, you know? And, uh, and the fox, why did the fox get chosen to map out the course? How long was this course? Uh, how long did they have to race for? And why didn't the fox just eat the hare, you know, in the process? Or, like, did the, did the tortoise and the hare, did they have a family? Maybe they had kids. The hare probably didn't have kids because it said he was napping. And when you have kids, you don't really nap all that much. Uh, some of you parents understand that one. And uh, so, you know, it just brings up a lot of these questions. But the, 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 the issue with these stories is that sometimes we can get hung up in the details, right? And the whole point is, like, don't get hung up in the details, but look for the moral of the story. That's well, kind of what we're going to be doing over the next five weeks. 
Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at a story. If you grew up in church, you've heard it before. If you're like me and you didn't grow up in church, maybe this will be your first time hearing it. But my challenge to you is don't get caught up in some of the details, but look for the bigger picture. Like what's the bigger message that God is trying to teach us? The story is about a guy named Jonah. It's from the book of Jonah. Uh, Now, for every series that we do, we have something called our message series hubs, where we um, provide you with resources, a reading plan, a Bible reading plan, uh, something to watch, something to listen to, something to read. We have all kinds of resources for uh, the book of Jonah. And the reason why we do that is because we, our desire is ultimately to make you hungry, make you go, man, I want more. Like I, I want to grow more in my faith. I want to I learn more about God. I want to understand this more. And if you have that, then we want to provide you with the resources to be able to grow. And that's where our message series hubs comes into play. So to get there, you can go to frontrange.org. You can scan the QR code on the worship guide that Pastor Brandon just talked about. There's lots of ways to get there. One thing that we put on there is a reading plan, a Bible reading plan. It's got some great devotionals. I would encourage you to to read through that. But here's my challenge to you. This book, the book of Jonah, is only four chapters. So my challenge to you is to read it every week, all four chapters. I'm not asking you to read through the whole Bible in five weeks. I'm just asking you to read four chapters every single week, the same four over and over. And here's what I believe. I believe God's going to speak to you in a significant, significant way. That God knows exactly what you're dealing with and exactly where you are in your relationship with him. And as you read through the scripture and as we talk about it on Sundays, that God's going to speak to you in a pretty powerful way. Let me give you some history about the book of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. A prophet is somebody who speaks words given to them by God to a person or group of people. In the Old Testament, there were 16, there were 16 prophetic books. Uh, that There are uh, four what are called major Uh, prophets and 12 minor prophets. Jonah was a minor prophet, which just basically means he wasn't as good as the major ones. Uh, No, a major and minor prophet, the difference is just content. It's just like the minor prophets had a little bit written about them. The major prophets had a lot written about them. Uh, Jonah doesn't have a ton written about him. The only other time we see him in the Old Testament is in 2 Kings chapter 14, where we're told who he is and that he gives this prophecy to an, uh, a king. He says, hey, you're going to win this battle. But later on, we learn that the king actually doesn't win the battle. So he's already suspect at this point. Like when we see Jonah, we're already like, mm, are you really a prophet? Do you really know what you're doing? Do you really understand? Now, the book of Jonah is really unique compared to the other prophetic books. You see, all the other prophetic books are about the words that the prophets spoke But Jonah isn't about the words that he spoke, it's about him, his life. Now, the book of Jonah, we we don't know if it was written by Jonah. Most scholars would say it wasn't, but it was a book about Jonah. The Bible Project, which is one of the resources we put uh, on the Message Series Hub, it, it describes the book of Jonah as this. It's a subversive story about a prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. They're not too far off. Jonah was not a great guy. He was not a great prophet. He was not a great follower of God. It has this fascinating plot to it. Um, The structure of the book is really interesting because you have this this guy named Jonah who's a prophet who's supposed to know God and obey God and all of that. He's the one that rebels from God. Then you have these sailors who don't know God and they repent of their sins. You have the king of the, 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 the most deadly empire the world had seen up until that point who also repents of his sins and turns to God. And then somehow the Bible says that the cows even repented. 
So you've got this huge contrast between a prophet of God, a man of God who's supposed to follow God who doesn't, and everybody else who's not supposed to be following God, and they all turn to God. The book of Jonah is this really fascinating book. And the the thing that bothers me about it is uh, the people get hung up on two verses. Out of four chapters, there's two verses that people get hung up on. So I thought, let's just go and get those out of the way now. Uh, So Jonah chapter 1 Starting with verse 17, it says this, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. There it is. A big fish. Somehow a big fish swallowed this guy. Is that real? Is it not real? Some people say it is. Some people say it isn't. We're not addressing that today. If you want to, uh, to have that addressed, we're going to talk about that in week three. Uh, We're going to talk about what that looks like. But it's not so far-fetched from what people think. I mean, a big fish swallowing a human, it could happen. There's there's some whales out there big enough, probably not an orca, but there's some other big whales like, uh, you know, the the, the blue whale. I mean, a blue whale can grow up to over 108 feet in length and can hold 2,000 pounds of its food. That's massive. In fact, the Washington Post, it was pretty fascinating, just a couple days ago, they released an article about uh, a new fossil that they found in Peru of a whale. They don't even have a name for it at this point. And that whale, they say, grew up to over 200 feet in length. Okay, that's a big animal that can easily swallow a human. That Jonah could have like three apartments inside of that thing and be totally fine, right? But we're not going to address that. Why? Because right now, I don't want you getting hung up on the details. What I want you to look for is what's the overall story, like, what's the big picture here? What are we to learn? So let me kind of give you three things that are like big picture pieces of Jonah. Number one, the book magnifies the worst part of our character. The book magnifies the worst part of our character. It, it, it requires the reader to hold a mirror up to themselves and say, how am I like Jonah? Like when you read the book of Jonah, you're not just looking at how bad he was and how much he ran from God, but it's really a reflection of you and I. And how you and I also can be like him. Number two, the book should produce a humility and a gratitude that God loves your enemies so much that he'll do anything to pursue them. And God loves the Jonah inside of all of us. Like that our great God loves you and I so much, it should produce this this gratitude, this thankfulness of like, wow. Like God shouldn't love me because of these things that I've done, and yet God still does. And then the book also shows that the Bible is full of very broken people. Like if I'm God and I'm writing a story that, you know, I'm like, I want you to like know who I am and all the great things that I'm probably not including Jonah. Like he just was he's not a good representation of who God is and who God's followers are supposed to be. But maybe that's part of the point. Because maybe part of the point is that you and I, all of us are broken. None of us are perfect individuals and we all need God's grace We all need salvation through Jesus. So with that understanding, let's dive in. We're only going to look at three verses. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying for the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against them. Tell them that, that their wickedness has risen up to me. And, and not just that, but the, the whole intent is that these people would repent. They would turn from their sins. And so Jonah knows that, and 
He's not really keen on this. Why? Because Nineveh wasn't your typical city. I mean, he was an evil, evil place. This was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire at this point is the most brutal empire to have ever existed on the earth. I mean, these were evil, evil people. This wouldn't be like going to like an evil city like, like Kansas City and preaching to the chiefs, right? This would be like going to evil, evil uh, Vegas and preaching to the Raiders, you know? Like, it would be like really, really bad people. It's like the worst of the worst, right? That's what God's calling Jonah to do. I mean, none of it was so bad. Uh, one of the other prophets wrote about it, Nahum. Here's what he says about the city of Nineveh. He says, woe to the city of blood. That was its nickname. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, and jolting chariots. Charging cavalry, flashing swords, and glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number. People stumbling over corpses. All because of the wanton loss of a prostitute. Alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Jonah's like, really? This is where you want me to go? Like to the worst of the worst, they're our enemies. These are the people that conquered us. You want me to go here? No, I'm good. So he runs. And he goes to a place called Joppa, which is a, a port city. Uh, depending on where he lived at that time, it would take anywhere from a couple days to a few weeks to get to this port city. He pays his own fare, and he heads to a place called Tarshish. Now, I, I, we have a map to kind of show you the difference between where Jonah was and where he was heading. So you've got Nineveh, which is like 550 miles or so away, and then you've got Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles away. It's very different. Now, Tarshish, if you, if you, if you see it, that it's at like the edge of the known world at this time. Like this is all they know is this area. Tarshish is like the edge of the known world. He's going as far as he possibly can, but he's not running from Nineveh. He's not running from the Assyrians. The Bible says he's running from the presence of the Lord, which is fascinating because he's a prophet. Like he knows God. He has this knowledge about God. He's supposed to be telling people about God, and yet he believes that he could actually get on a boat and run from God. He's trying to run from the very presence of God. So what can we learn from Jonah's life? If one of the points of the book is to hold a mirror up to yourself and say, okay, how am I like Jonah? What are we to learn from his life? Well, the biggest piece is this, is that we're all tempted to run from God in some area of our lives. That all of us are tempted to run from some area, to run from God in that area. All of us, say all of us. All of us are tempted to do this. Like it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how easy something is or how hard something is. Whenever we hear God speak, there's this temptation. Like, should I follow God? Was that really God? Now, let's give Jonah some credit. We're not going to give him a whole lot in this series. But let's give him some credit. He heard the voice of God. That's pretty fascinating. I mean, that's a big deal. There are people who go their entire lives saying that I've never heard the voice of God. Jonah heard the voice of God. He just chose not to obey it. Now, here's what I would say. I would say that God speaks all the time, that God speaks to you and I all the time. He uses nature. Um, he'll use dreams. He'll use vision. He'll use uh, visions. He'll use other people. The primary way that God speaks is right here through his word. Like, this is the number one way that he chooses to speak to you and I today. 
Right? There are some of you that you've come up to me before and you said, man, Ernest, like, have you been reading my mail? Like that message spoke right at me. And I'm like, ah, it wasn't me, it was him. Like God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're dealing with. And so he knows exactly what you need when you need it. And he's going to speak. Now, when God speaks, we have one of three responses. We can accept it, like, man, that's definitely from God, and obey it. We can question it. Is that really from God? We could do like Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Did God really say to do this? You can question it. Or you can accept it, yes, that's God, and then choose to disobey. Now, if you ever hear something and you're questioning if it was God or not, then my encouragement to you is to seek wise counsel, read the Bible. The Bible says, test the spirits. Meaning if you're like, man, did, did God really say this to me? Go ask wise counsel. Wise counsel is somebody else in your life that also loves Jesus and is trying to follow after Christ. They can give you, oh yeah, man, that's what the Bible says. Or man, that definitely seems in line with scripture or whatever. Or just compare it to what God has already told us. And if it's confirmed or affirmed in scripture, then yes, that might be God. If it's not, then maybe it's bad burritos or something like that. But if it is God, if you could say, yes, this is the voice of God in my life, then you have two choices. You can either obey or disobey. Those are your only two options. And there's drastically different results depending on which one you choose. So we all run from God in some, in some areas of our lives. When we hear God saying, telling us to do something, we choose to obey or not obey. And the, here's the two differences. When we run from God, we descend into spiritual despair. When we run from God, when we choose not to obey him in some area of our life, we descend into spiritual despair. We've all experienced this before. Right? At some point in our lives, we, we've done something that has been against God's word, and we've experienced the, 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 the consequences, the ramifications of those choices. Like we know this in big things, right? Like we just did a series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, and, you know, some of the Ten Commandments, I mean, do not murder people, don't commit adultery. We understand there's major consequences if you break some of those things, right? Like you murder somebody, you're probably going to jail. You know, you commit adultery on your spouse, they're, they might be divorcing you, like, or, or other issues, whatever. Uh, there's some major consequences. But have you ever thought about the consequences that come along with just small disobedience? You ever thought about the spiritual consequences that come along when you and I choose not to follow God. When we choose to run from him, we descend into spiritual despair. I was talking with a couple the other day, and they were talking about how they were probably going to be leaving the church they were attending. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, because we don't like the way the church talks about money. Now, I, I've seen this show many times. So I'm like, okay, I get it. There are some people who have PTSD from churches that talk about money. There's some churches that talk poorly about money. I get all that. But usually, when somebody gives me a reason that they're leaving a church, it's not usually the reason. So I said, okay, well, you don't like that. Let me ask you this. Are you giving to that church? Do you give anything to them? And they said, well, no. Well, I mean, that, then you're not obeying God in an area of your life. Because God makes it very clear about our generosity and how we should be giving and all of that. So if you're choosing not to do that, there's going to be consequences. So you think, well, I'm not growing spiritually because of this church. Maybe you're not growing spiritually because you're running from God in an area of your life. Maybe it has nothing to do with the church. Some people say, well, if you're not growing spiritually from that church, just leave the church. And I get that, totally get that. But most of the time, it has nothing to do with that church. It has to do with our own willingness to obey or disobey. 
When we run from God, we descend into spiritual despair. When you engage in anything that God doesn't call you to do or you choose not to do what God calls you to do, there's going to be ramifications. There's going to be consequences. And most of the time, those consequences are spiritual. Like we're impacted spiritually because of something we're doing. Here's what I'd say. If you're, if you're struggling spiritually right now, like if you're in a place in your life where like, man, I'm, I'm just struggling. My first question to you would be, are you running from God in an area of your life? Like is there anything that God has already said in his word that you're choosing not to do? And if the answer to that is yes, then change that first before you change anything else. Like let's think of some like big topics. Let's think of sexuality. I mean, are, we just did a, a whole message on do not commit adultery. And John, Pastor Johnny talked about, you know, how Jesus took that even further. And so it's not just the act of adultery. It's also your mind and thinking thoughts that you shouldn't be thinking or it's porn or other things. So, like, if you're living a life that, that you could say, well, I'm not staying pure sexually, then it's really hard to be like, God, where are you? Because we're choosing to run in that area. Or your finances. Are you putting God first in your finances? If not, then it's really hard to be like, God, bless me. God, help me. God, do these things. But I'm choosing to jump on a ship and run the other way. Are you serving in the church? Are you being a good neighbor? Are you sharing your faith? Are you raising your kids in the way that they should go? All of these things. Now, here's what I'll say. None of us are perfect. And one of the beautiful messages about the book of Jonah is that God gives you a second chance and a second second chance and a third second chance and so on. Like Jesus didn't die on the cross for you because you were perfect or to demand that you now are going to be perfect in this moment. Jesus died on the cross for you because you're not perfect. So if you're like, man, I, I, I'm not pure in all these areas. I don't do well in all these. There's areas of, thank God for his grace. But he still calls us to more. He still calls us to obey. And then when you obey, this, you experience this unwavering joy. When we follow God, you'll find an unwavering joy in his presence. When we disobey, when we get on that boat, and we head a totally different direction, trying to run from his presence, we will experience spiritual despair. We're going to see that in Jonah's life over the next few weeks. But when you choose to follow, you will experience unwavering joy. I can give you a lot of examples of where I chose not to follow. Let me give you one of where I chose to follow. I've, I've mentioned many times where in here that... Um, finances was one of those things, especially early on, that was really hard for me to submit to God. I grew up in a wealthy home, then my parents got divorced, and then we weren't very wealthy. And my mom did the best to make ends meet, but man, it was a real struggle. So anything I wanted, I had to go work for. So, you know, if I wanted clothes, if I wanted to eat, any of those things, my mom did the best that she could, but I had to provide a lot so from very early on, I've been working. And, and when you work, man, you're like, well, I earned that money, so that's mine. And then I hear about this guy named Jesus and how he died for me. So I give my life over to Christ. And through mentors and discipleship and all of that, I start hearing about how God wants all of us. And part of that is God wants us to give 10% back to him, this thing called tithing. And at first I'm like, that seems weird. Like, why would God, God does God need my money? Does the church need my money? 
I'm thankful for like mentors that walk alongside of us because these guys help me understand like God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. It's about your heart. And we're like, you submit this area over to him. At that point, like this is one of the few areas that like I could say, I have a firm grip on this. I had lost control of most of my life at this point, but money I was in firm control of. So I couldn't let that go. Then they started talking about tithing. I'm like, well, I'll try it. So I started giving 10% before everything else. I was like, man, this is pretty easy. Then like a week later, life hit. I'm like, holy cow, this is much harder. You know, you go through trials and hardships and car breaks and you get sick and all these things. I'm like, well, I mean, maybe I can just skip a month or maybe I can just skip a few months. If I, no one's going to judge me. No one's going to be like, Ernest, you're a terrible Christian because you're not tithing right now. No one would have done that. But I knew that if I could just keep submitting this area of my life over to God, then the other areas I could also submit to him. Like this was going to be the hardest one for me to break, I thought at that point. So if I could just keep going. So we did. So Sarah and I just kept tithing and just kept giving, just kept giving. Man, it was hard. There was some, I'm not going to say like, Joy is not always happiness, okay? So like finding that unwavering joy is not like, oh, I'm, I, this is awesome. Life is really terrible right now. And I have no money. This is great. Like that's not joy. Joy is a contentment, knowing that God's got you. And man, God showed up so many times. Like when cars would break, when things would happen, and God just kept showing up and he showed up through people. There were people there that cared for us, that prayed with us and encouraged us. He always showed up. We never went without our needs being met. We could have used more. It would have been awesome. But our needs were always met. Always. Because we trusted in him. When you obey God in the areas of your life that he's calling us to, you'll find this unwavering joy, this joy that is unshakable, won't move in his presence. And so let me ask you, Is there an area of your life you're running from? Maybe you're not like Jonah and you're not on a boat and you're going the opposite direction of the world, but in some way you're running from his presence. You're like, ah, did God really say? Maybe God did say, but culturally it doesn't make sense. People will doubt you. They'll think you're crazy or what, like when Sarah and I were giving and we had like our cars were breaking and stuff, like the world been like, man, you're crazy. Like just, not just, God understands. But is there an area where you're running? God's saying, I want you to obey me. I want you to follow me because if you do, you'll experience this joy that no one else can give you and that nothing else can give you. It's a joy that's unshakable, that's everlasting. If you can identify that area of your life, submit it over to him today. Say, God, here it is. Here's my parenting. Here's my checkbook. Here's my sexuality. Here's my whatever it may be. Here it is. And it may not make sense to the world, but I'm going to trust you. And my prayer is that as you do that, you'll discover his great joy in the midst of it all. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for the book of Jonah. I thank you, Father, for how much we can learn from his life. God, it's easy to talk about how poor of a follower he was of you and 
not always a good human and all of that, but God, there's also, it's a reflection of me. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us right now, God. Father, help us to identify if there's an area of our lives that we're not following you, that we know what your word calls us to do, we know what you tell us to do in scripture, but maybe it just seems impossible right now. God, give us the courage. Give us the ability to stand firm. Say, no, I'm going to obey no matter what. And then, God, as we do that, may your joy be so deep in our soul, Father. And Father, we know that the start of this entire conversation really is about first submitting to you. It's about acknowledging what you've done on the cross, Jesus. And God, you loved us so much that our sin separates us from you. And some of us right now, we walked into this place, man, we can, we can sense that, that God, we feel so lost so far from you. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you haven't been in a while. Maybe you come every single week, but you're like, man, spiritually, I'm just, I'm not in the place I want to be. I feel far from God. If that's you, I just want to encourage you. God is saying, come home today. What does that mean? It means recognizing what Jesus has done for you. Yet, while we were still sinners, while we were far from God, Christ died for us. He took the punishment that we deserve to take. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later to show his power over death and over sin. May we receive that now. In fact, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, Ernest, that's me, man, walking into this place, feeling far from God, but I do, I want to come home. I want to receive, first and foremost, what Christ has given to me. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to pray for. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for these individuals. If you're watching at home, you can just text the word follow. It's a number on the screen, but God, I thank you that you know every person by name. You know their story. You know what they've been walking through. And I thank you that you've given all of us a second chance. Your grace is sufficient. No matter what we've done, what we've gone through. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. We receive it now. And for all of us, God, tell us what our next steps are. God, may we identify an area that maybe we're running from you in. Maybe it's causing disastrous effects, or maybe we just kind of feel this spiritual decline. May we turn today and follow you and find that unwavering joy. It's in Jesus' name.